<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the whole Jeff Bezos' phone got hacked thing blows up into something crazy. That rumored cheap iPhone might be mere weeks away. Is Amazon Music almost as big as Apple Music? Cruise unveils the origin self-driving car and the first test of voting via smartphone in the U.S. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. In my nearly two years doing this podcast, there has not been a single story that has been crazier than this one, and it just keeps getting crazier. You've probably heard it already, but all I can do is really just quote from the Guardian piece that broke this news last night, quote, The Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos had his mobile phone hacked in 2018 after receiving a WhatsApp message that had apparently been sent from the personal account of the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, sources have told The Guardian. The encrypted message from the number used by Mohammed bin Salman is believed to have included a malicious file that infiltrated the phone of the world's richest man, according to the results of a digital forensic analysis. This analysis found it, quote, highly probable end quote, that the intrusion into the phone was triggered by an infected video file sent from the account of the Saudi heir to Bezos, the owner of the Washington Post. The two men had been having a seemingly friendly WhatsApp exchange when, on the 1st of May that year, the unsolicited file was sent, according to sources who spoke to The Guardian on the condition of anonymity. Large amounts of data were exfiltrated from Bezos's phone within hours, according to a person familiar with the matter. The Guardian has no knowledge of what was taken from the phone or how it was used, end quote. So the forensic work in question was done on behalf of Bezos by the firm FTI Consulting. The Financial Times has more details. Quote, the forensic report commissioned by Mr. Bezos said Prince Mohammed contacted the Amazon founder unexpectedly via WhatsApp on two occasions after the video file had been sent in a way that suggested that the crown prince had prior knowledge of the businessman's private discussions. Mr. Bezos had already ceased all communications with Prince Mohammed in the wake of the Khashoggi murder. But in February 2019, two days after the billionaire was briefed via his phone about the extent of the Saudi online campaign against him, he received another message from the WhatsApp account used by the prince. It said, quote, all what you hear or told to, it's not true, and it's a matter of time will tell you know the truth. There is nothing against you or Amazon from me or Saudi Arabia, end quote. Now, I think it's worth underlining that the forensic report does stop short of identifying the spyware used, although several people online and subsequent reporting is pointing the finger at the NSO group, that Israeli firm that people have implicated in high-profile device hacking before. Aki Peretz tweeted this, quote, Jeff Bezos's obvious move is to sue the firms that provided this tech to the Saudis into the ground in every jurisdiction, show there are serious financial consequences to hacking private citizens. Burn these companies to the ground with your infinite wealth, end quote. 
To which former Facebook security chief Alex Stamos tweeted, The irony is that NSO Group uses Amazon Web Services to interact with WhatsApp's APIs. So if NSO was behind the intrusion, then some of the key evidence is available to Bezos's excellent AWS security team, end quote. Something tells me there will be plenty more shoes to drop around this story at some point. In fact, as I was writing this up this morning, this popped up on CNBC, quote, the UN has called for an immediate investigation into the possible involvement of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in the hacking of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos's iPhone in 2018, UN experts said in a statement Wednesday, end quote. It's a Debbie Wu, Mark Gurman, Apple Scoop Wednesday, as the pair are reporting that the rumored low-cost iPhone The successor to the iPhone SE that people have been talking about for a few months now will actually enter production in February and may be announced as early as March, quoting the pair in Bloomberg. This will be the first lower-cost iPhone model since the iPhone SE. It will look similar to the iPhone 8 from 2017 and include a 4.7-inch screen, Bloomberg News has previously reported. The iPhone 8 is still on the market, currently selling for $449, whereas Apple sold the iPhone SE for $399 when that handset launched in 2016. The new phone is expected to have Touch ID built into the home button, reusing established Apple technology instead of opting for an in-display fingerprint sensor like most modern Android rivals. It will not have Apple's Face ID biometric authentication, but it will feature the same processor as Apple's current flagship device, the iPhone 11." End quote. So the assumption that most folks are making here is that this lower-end model will help Apple compete in developing markets, especially India, where, coincidentally, Apple manufacturing partner Wistron recently brought a third iPhone assembly plant online, building iPhone 6S and iPhone SE models specifically for the Indian market. Foxconn also builds the iPhone XR in India. Could it be that Amazon Music is quietly a bigger player in the streaming music space than anyone thought? Could it be that Amazon Music is almost as big as Apple Music? It certainly looks that way from a certain angle, as Amazon says that Amazon Music has 55 million users across its six different pricing tiers. Now, those six tiers do include the free pricing tier, but Amazon says nearly all of those 55 million users are paying subscribers, quoting the Financial Times. Amazon doesn't talk numbers that much, said Steve Boom, head of Amazon Music. We felt like getting to this level of scale was something worth talking about, end quote. At 55 million users, Amazon is edging closer to Apple's market share in music streaming. Apple last summer said it had 60 million subscribers to Apple Music. Spotify remains the market leader by a wide margin, with 113 million paying subscribers and 248 million total monthly users as of September, end quote. Now, again, it's probably worth parsing those tiers a bit, quoting the Financial Times again. Amazon Music sells its core premium music service, which offers the same on-demand catalog as Spotify and Apple, for $10 a month. But that cost falls to $8 a month for members of Amazon's Prime shipping program and $4 a month for people who listen only on an Echo speaker. 
The result is that subscriptions to Amazon's core premium music service grew by more than 50% year over year in 2019, according to the company, end quote. Still, I don't know. I'm not suggesting here that Amazon is fudging the numbers, really, but how much are they waiting that free tier? I mean, I know all the time when I ask A-L-E-X-A to play a song on Spotify, half the time she defaults to playing it on Amazon Music. So does that count? Am I part of this 55 million and I don't even know it? In a first for the United States, a district encompassing greater Seattle will let 1.2 million voters cast their votes via smartphone in an upcoming February 11th election. Quoting NPR, The new technology will be used for a Board of Supervisors election, and ballots will be accepted from Wednesday through Election Day on February 11th. Quote, this is the most fundamentally transformative reform you can do in democracy, said Bradley Tusk, the founder and CEO of Tusk Philanthropies, a nonprofit aimed at expanding mobile voting that is funding the King County pilot. The Board of Supervisors election in the King Conservation District, for example, in past years has drawn less than 1% of the eligible population to the ballot box. Tusk says low turnout contributes to dysfunction in government because candidates aren't forced to craft positions that represent the entire population. Quote, if you can use technology to exponentially increase turnout, then that will ultimately dictate how politicians behave on every issue, he said, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Subscription revenue is all the rage these days, right? We've talked about that on this show extensively. ARR, annual recurring revenue. Subscription revenue is less time-consuming and, crucially, way more predictable and reliable as a business model than relying on ads or strip-mining your users for data. DoubleUp is the agency that helps businesses, content creators, and influencers get into the subscription business model. Sponsors and advertisers can come and go like the wind, but subscription revenue is reliable like the seasons. And creating a freemium model tied to upselling subscriptions sure has worked for the likes of Spotify, Dropbox, Slack. Your audience, your customers want you to do this. Nobody likes ads. No one wants you to surveil them and make money by selling their data. Let DoubleUp show you how to create a business 
based on a solid foundation of subscription revenue that will also let you sleep well at night. Check them out at Double Up Agency. That's doubleup.agency on the web. And when you get in touch with them, tell them Brian sent you. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features, help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Big driverless car news. GM's Cruise subsidiary has unveiled Origin, the company's first ever attempt to build a fully autonomous car from the ground up. The Origin has no steering wheel, no pedals, there's no hood, no side view mirrors, no driver or passenger side windows. In fact, it's not entirely clear when you look at this thing if it even has a front or a back orientation at all. I highly recommend clicking through to the Verge article for pics and video about this. The Verge's Andrew J. Hawkins got a literal hands-on look at the origin. So when you want to get into the vehicle, you first have to put in a code on its keypad that's on the door on the outside, and it sort of opens as if like it's a minivan that opens from both sides. You get in, and you have a very spacious interior of the vehicle, uh, and that's obvious because there's no steering wheel, there's no pedals, there's no gear shaft, there's not even really a dashboard or any infotainment system. Uh, there's just two bench seats facing each other in this sort of vast space in between them. It's designed to be comfortable if it's shared, but if it's just you, you got so much space in here, you can really like stretch out and it's, it's pretty great. Um, and so I think it's a good experience whether it's just you or, or a lot of other people. You do people. yoga in here probably. Absolutely you can do yoga. Well, as long as your seatbelt's on, I don't know how that works. Andrew is talking to Kyle Vogt there, the co-founder and chief technology officer of Cruise. He also had details to share like this, quote, we built this car around the idea of not having a driver and specifically being used in a rideshare fleet, Vote says. This vehicle is engineered to last a million miles and all the interior components are replaceable. The compute is replaceable. The sensors are replaceable. And what that does is it drives the cost per mile down way lower than you could ever reach if you took a regular car and tried to retrofit it. The replacement cost and the upkeep of that would just kill you from a business standpoint, end quote. This is quoting from Andrew's piece again, quote, I don't typically hear AV companies talk about unit economics and profitability, but that's going to creep up sooner than a lot of people realize, Vote says. Experts estimate that each self-driving car could cost upwards of $300,000 to $400,000 when taking into account the expensive sensors and computing software needed to allow the vehicles to drive themselves. 
Recouping those costs will be enormously challenging, and Cruz is trying to address that by building a car with more staying power than most personally owned vehicles, end quote. The sensor suite on the Origin is what you would expect. Radar, LiDAR, cameras. It has a hard drive in the trunk that is cooled by the car's battery system. The company didn't say when it expects the Origin to hit roads, because with that lack of steering wheel, among other things, it would need to file a petition with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration just to get this thing out there. And Cruise has missed its own self-set deadline for starting an autonomous taxi service by the end of 2019. Nonetheless, Cruise did say it would be sharing its production plans at some point in the future. Finally today, tech earnings season is upon us once again, and as always, Netflix is leading the parade. Yesterday evening, Netflix reported Q4 revenue of $5.46 billion, which was up 31% year-over-year, and net income of $587 million. Global paid additions, which means the number of new customers, was $8.8 million. And for the first time ever, Netflix surpassed 100 million paid memberships outside of the United States. This morning, Netflix stock opened down around 2%. So in a way, you could read this as a bit of a miss in terms of the earnings numbers, but Netflix did beat analyst estimates for subscribers by 1 million. The interesting thing is, though, Netflix, for the first time, seems to be changing the shade and color that it's adding to its guidance going forward. First of all, Netflix wants you to focus on the growth overseas, right? Why? Because Netflix now has competition domestically, as we all know. And overseas, Netflix still has the game to themselves for the foreseeable future. As Peter Kafka noted on the earnings call, this may be the first time Reed Hastings has blamed competition for Netflix's overall performance. The quote in question was, Our low membership growth in the U.S. and Canada is probably due to our recent price changes and to U.S. competitive launches, end quote quoting Kafka in his piece in Recode, it's significant that Netflix not only acknowledged the elephants in the room, the big-budget marketing blitzes from two very big new competitors, and the competition they're about to see as HBO Max and NBC's Peacock launch later this spring, but also that it acknowledged that having elephants in the room might not be ideal. You can also expect to hear a lot more about that in the years to come which is why Netflix also took pains to tell investors that it thinks it's going to be just fine, even as Disney sends Baby Yoda their way and Apple sends Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, end quote. Netflix touted Witcher, which it said got 76 million views in its launch month, which, if you do a kind of apples-to-apples comparison to the assumed viewership of the Disney Plus offering and thus The Mandalorian, is pretty competitive and impressive. But again, Disney Plus is not yet available around the world. And by the way, Netflix is now counting two minutes of viewing time for any show as a view. So if you try a show for just two minutes, it says that you've watched it, which the company itself acknowledged kind of gooses its self-reported viewing numbers by around 35%. So what does it say that Netflix has pivoted from claiming to be unafraid of any competition to suddenly calling the competition out as competition by name, going from not reporting viewership numbers ever to sort of doing Facebook video-style viewership funny math to put a shine on their numbers. One more data point from Netflix. 
They now have 1,211 original shows and have been adding at least one show a day on average for the past eight months. Speaking of that Netflix show, Witcher, can we talk about that for a second? Is it any good? Because I watched the first episode and I found it pretty good. Good enough that I intended to binge a couple more episodes, but then the second episode was just so confusing and boring and kind of bad. So I don't know. Should I give it another try? I know that Witcher is this whole worldwide popular piece of IP, but it's not something that I've ever plugged into before. Is Witcher generally a series worth investing time in? Like the whole story, the mythos, the books, all that stuff. Like, I kind of just don't know what's going on on the show, so I don't even know if I want to try to commit to finding out. So if you're a Witcher reader, not a Witcher game player, let me know. Should I take the plunge? Worthwhile or not? Talk to you tomorrow.